0: grace mercy and peace are yours from god our father from our lord and our savior jesus christ amen as a congregation we have been looking at the story of joseph for most of the summer and i want to ask you before we dive into our chapter today what is joseph known for what do you think of if this was like um family feud you know we surveyed one congregation top results of and when you hear the name joseph what do you think of this is crazy But go ahead and even tell your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, what do you think of? If you're not sitting next to someone, then that's okay. All right, yeah. Now, how many of you said, Joseph? He was the one who successfully managed Egypt and navigated them during the famine part. No, too many Dolly Parton fans out there, you went immediately to the coat, didn't you? Come on, hands up, coat, yeah, yeah. Nobody said, Joseph? Well, he was the one who, when the people of Egypt and the surrounding countries ran out of money, told them to sell him his livestock instead of giving him money. And then, when they ran out of livestock and had no money, he said, sell your land to Pharaoh, and then made them promise to give one-fifth of it for the remaining of their lives to Pharaoh for everything that they grew. Nobody? Oh, you guys don't know Joseph. Now, how odd is it that today probably the first thing that we would jump to would be to value people of great wealth, people of shrewd business practices. How odd is it that this man procured so much wealth and power, but is mostly remembered for his coat, for his brokenness, for his struggles, for his cracks, and then ultimately for the one being reconciling the ones who hurt him. Now I'm going to read through the story of Genesis chapter 45, and I'm just going to read the whole chapter. And I know for the most part, we know what's going to happen, there's not like a little surprise here. So I didn't want to break down all of it, I'll hint towards some, because you know, when the surprise is gone, you know, that's okay, we still want to hear this story. But there is something in the middle today that I will circle back to, but for now, Let's let our hearts be at peace. Let's recognize that whenever we read God's word, that it's God speaking to us himself, that he is teaching us, that he is reminding us, that he is guiding us. And here we are in Genesis 45. It's in your bulletin, or if you brought your Bible so you can follow along. It's also on the screen. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Again, this is right after Judah's, Judah's big speech. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence? So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence, fear, they're fearing what's about to come, because this was the moment, you know, Joseph just revealed. But Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here. But God, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. From the one that the brothers would bow down to, the one that the brothers had wronged, the one the brothers had thought they killed and done away with, is now the one who forgives and the one who will provide and sustain and give them life. We've heard that story in a much richer way many times. The text continues and says, You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it's really I whom am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You were also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and for your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded. And he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and all other provisions for his journey. And then he sent the brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, maybe jokingly, I don't know, don't quarrel on the way. But this... This entourage that arrives, just so that we can kind of get some sort of an idea of what would this really look like, would be like Air Force One and a bunch of Amazon planes that are just filled with supplies suddenly landing in the middle of the rainforest to a tribe and they're being like, what is all this? Or if you're a Star Trek fan, do you remember in the Wrath of Khan, the new one, not the old one, where the, the sh- I've seen one nod, some empty f- Dr. it's Star Trek is very cool. You can check it out. Oh, you know, no, nope, never heard. You know what? I'm just going to move on. Finish the story, Trevor. So they went up out of Egypt, came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, "Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt." Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, "I'm convinced." My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now I want to go back. Don't just turn the page just yet. I want to go back to verses 5 through 8. Because sandwiched there, Joseph says something that many people say is, is the theme for the entire narrative, the entire story of Joseph. And now do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Here it is. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then at the verse 8, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What this is implying is that God can take human evil and bring an even greater good. And this is, well, when it's said at the macro level that God can take human evil and bring an even greater good, we say, yes. But when we say this at a personal level, that God can take human evil and bring an even greater good, well, we might be tempted To not right away say yes, but instead to right away say, but why? Why? Now to be clear, let me tell you what this is not going to be. This saying that God can take human evil and bring an even greater good is not saying that bad things happen to good people. This is not saying that God is all loving but he's not all-powerful. So we have to learn to forgive God for the pain that he causes in our lives because he might have a plan. That is not the God of the Bible. And that is not what this text is saying. This text is not saying that God wants evil to happen, that God wants bad things to happen to us so that he can use it. That is not the God of the Bible. This is not saying that when bad things are happening... God is hiding, and he doesn't know what is going on. When the psalmists or other people in the Bible say, oh God, why do you hide? They are saying, God, why can't I see you in this? Why am I only looking around and seeing evil and bad? Joseph is telling us that God can take human evil, things that humans mean for harm and for wrong, and can overcome them and bring good. Joseph is telling us that when we fix our eyes on ourselves and what we have done, or we fix our eyes on the things that have happened to us in the moment, the very temporary things, that we miss the eternal. We miss that God is with us. We miss that God is in control. We miss that God is at work. Even so, all these things keep happening. Joseph chose to give glory to God in spite of everything that had happened to him by the hands of his brothers, in spite of the wrong, in spite of the suffering that he had to deal with. He chose to give God praise. Can God take human evil and bring an even greater good? Yes. And I think it's okay to sometimes say why. Now, I think that there are three additional stories apart from this story of Joseph that can help us try to flesh out that why. The first is this story of a guy named Tobit from the tribe of Naphtali. He was a man who was carted off to Assyria and to Nineveh, and all he wanted was to go back to Jerusalem. He wanted to go back to Jerusalem, leave exile, and go and worship at the temple. He prayed constantly while in exile, asking God to go back home where he could make God's name known, where he could praise God. Because he believed that in Nineveh, in exile, he was ruined. He was stuck. He couldn't make God's name known. Couldn't glorify God the proper way, the right way, the way God is supposed to be glorified. And he would pray, God, just fix this. Fix this. Let me go back home to Jerusalem, to the temple. I can't do anything when I'm in exile. And bad things happen to this person, who in this story is a righteous man, who did all the right things, and more than anything else, just wanted to worship God in Jerusalem, in the temple, like he's supposed to do. And all this stuff happens that's kind of bad, but at the end of the story, there's this really long prayer that he gives. And he says at the start of it, Praise him, you Israelites, in front of the Gentiles, exalt him before every living being. And we might go, Okay, that's no big. What's so special about that? We hear that all the time. Praise God. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But in context, we got to remember that Tobit has been stuck in exile. That this man never got to go back to Jerusalem, to the temple. He never gets to go back. And in many ways, this man is still broken. But he finally realizes that even there, in brokenness, in exile, in the place he doesn't want to be, God's greatness can be shown. He can still praise God and tell of His works. Even in loss. Even when things don't go the way we want them to or... Should we say, even when things don't go how they're supposed to go? God is not powerless. God is not absent. But instead is highlighted, His mercy, His power, so that no matter where we are, no matter why or how we got there, the opportunity to praise God remains. The second is this, 400 years ago there was this um, powerful shogun in Japan and his favorite tea bowl that he had purchased and he loved, at one point it got shattered, it got cracked, It it was useless, he couldn't use it anymore. So he sent it off to be fixed and asked, you know, make it new, make it work make it like the way it was, and they sent it back, and it was gross, it was ugly, it wasn't fixed at all, and so he issues this challenge to all the, the, the artists around to fix his teapot, and someone had this idea of lacquer resin that was mixed with gold, gold that had been ground up into dust, and the gold resin then was used to fit the parts back together. They didn't send him a new pot or make it look like it was never broken, instead it was something different, it looked a little bit like this. And you may have seen this before. This art is called Kintsugi, right? And when we look at this, you might be like, man, that was probably a really nice cup at one point. But now our eyes are drawn to the cracks. The cracks are highlighted. The cracks now are what make this cup, this bowl unique and beautiful. Now, how many times as human beings do we want people to look at us and say, man, look how strong, look how beautiful they are. Look at how, how whole they are. Look how they have it all together. I've seen the pictures on their, on their phone. If only I could be like that, then everything in my life would be good. Why doesn't God give me that life? Why can't I look like that? Why instead do I have to be like this? But maybe, maybe Christ's followers aren't supposed to say, look at my wholeness. But rather, look at what God has done in my weakness. Not by taking away my weakness or pretending that I was never weak. But by God using it for His glory. to say that I once was lost but now I am found because truth is God can bring good out of people who aren't healed God doesn't have to we- have to take away the crack to make you whole doesn't have to take away the broken to make you beautiful Doesn't have to take away the pain and the loss to make you his own. In fact, sometimes it's the presence of cracks and the presence of wounds that are what highlights God's grace to them the most to those around us. Because if we think about it, man, we could get a new bowl, it's probably not that expensive, and that would be nice. But to allow the weakness to remain and to be redeemed, to be made new again, well, that's something else entirely. And then the beauty is in the cracks and the brokenness and how God overcomes. Because the same is true for your life and for my life, that even though we have brokenness and cracks, and we're dinged up and we have wounds, We are not ruined. And God is not looking to replace you. You, cracks and all, have become something more because you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. You have been made beautiful. And that beauty is in the broken and the blessing, not the healing nor the replacing the beauty is in the redemption i think paul called that being more than conquerors because jesus is the true healer of our bodies and souls that even if we sow in tears because of our sin or the things that happen to us we might sow in tears and cry because of evil but the joy the strength always comes his help always comes so let us lift up our eyes and our hands in prayer in hope in trust because the times like Joseph whether they're good or bad always come and do not forget your cracks which leads me to the third story and for the third well I can't tell that one You would have to tell it. You'd have to look at your life, and you would have to be the one to say, when you shuffle out the good and the bad, the cracks and the hard times, you would have to decide two things as you tell that story. Do the cracks define you? Or are they just part of you that God is using to bring even greater things? And the second, can you and will you continue to praise and trust God when more cracks come? Because the power in the story of Tobit and Potts and Joseph and you and I, first and foremost, is the mercy and power of God that is shown to us in Jesus Christ and then lived out each day in grace. For it was our Lord Jesus who showed us how to walk and live this way, how to surrender to God to pick up our cross. And it was like we heard at the beginning, for it is by His wounds we are healed, and by His death we are redeemed. And we'll close today with this piece from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Pastor Tim read to me this week. It's not in your bulletins. But you can just listen. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret, shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled or not understood, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. How could brokenness do such things? Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And then this is the part that kept going over in my head as Pastor Tim read it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It's written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And this is for us. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen.